You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Today's cool fact of the day is about that 10% of your brain that you're supposed to only use. It's a total myth. And it probably started because of psychologist William James, who in the preface of How to Win Friends and Influence People wrote that you only use 10% of your brain. But he never really actually said that. He said people use a small percentage of their potential, not of their brain. He wasn't talking about the brain at all. And that explains why you've never heard a doctor say, like when you have a brain tumor, oh, don't worry, it's in the 90% of your brain you don't use. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD plus even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's episode is one of my favorites because we're going to just talk about biohacking. My buddy Zach is on. And he's going to ask me questions that have been submitted on Facebook on the Bulletproof Executive page. So this is a chance to just hear what you guys are interested in and then provide some answers. This is going to be fast moving, and I'm going to share as much information as I can in a small amount of time. Zach, what's up, man? What's up, Dave? Have you been doing any cool biohacks lately? Yeah, actually, I have. I had this idea about using the upgraded focus brain trainer 
to track my focus while I'm playing the piano. I was interested oh, wow. to see what was happening there. So I did a couple tests and I, I put on the strap and measured the blood flow to my prefrontal cortex, which is an indicator of focus, and played piano. And so I was a little surprised because it actually went down quite a bit. The focus did. And I did a couple of tests, one where I did the training for five to 10 minutes using the feedback and then played piano. And then I also did it, played the piano first and then did the training. And in every scenario, the focus went down while I played. The other thing that I did was played a song that I had memorized that was an actual song versus just an improv. And when I did improv, it went down even more. So thinking about that and about what Stephen Kotler talks about around flow states in his book, The Rise of Superman, made me understand that when you're playing music and if that gets you sort of into that state of flow, you actually don't use as much of your, your focus part of your brain. It just becomes automatic. And so that was kind of cool. I think any experienced musician will say that they're not thinking about their music, they're feeling about their music, right? And what we're doing in the PFC is we're making that focus, that attention happen. And maybe you didn't want to have a lot of thinking about your music because your thinking is way too slow for you to move your hands at the speed that a good musician can move. So it's kind of cool that you experienced that. I've never even thought of that experiment. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually stoked you told me about it because it, it's making me think. Yeah, it was... Uh... It was interesting. I definitely didn't get the results that I expected. And that's what's fun about biohacking is <laughs> you learn things just also on the way that you create your controls and how you do your, your biohacks. So that's, that's one of the things that I love about it. Awesome. Let's jump into questions from the forums on bulletproofexec.com slash forum and on Facebook, which is where most of these came from. All right. So uh, first one is from the forums. And uh, the person, their handle is, I need a new screen name. <laughs> Love it. The question is, is there any risk of racetam use and neurodegeneration? And he says, if you look at how ampokines work, they bind to particular receptors in the brain and boost the activity of glutamate. This sounds great, but is uh, exotoxicity, uh, when these receptors are overstimulated, uh, is that possible that it can cause neurodegeneration? It's an interesting question. I've not seen any evidence that you're getting an increase in glutamate activity from racetams. If someone has a study on that or some other comments there, I'd, I'd love to see it. And I am very concerned about overactivity of the nervous system and what glutamate and aspartate, or really aspartame, do when you get excess amounts of them in the synapse, your body can't reuptake them fast enough so the cells fire until they die. This is one of the reasons people complain of all the symptoms of Chinese food syndrome and all. What I have seen though, is that with racetams, they're neuroprotective. They actually can protect against neurodegeneration and they do this by raising oxygen levels but not changing blood flow in the brain. So I don't think there's evidence that you're going to be getting excitotoxicity from the racetams if you're concerned about specifically glutamate overactivation, certainly avoiding MSG is a good idea. And you should check out some of the studies on the upgraded aging supplement we have. I'm very sensitive to MSG. I have been for a long time. And if you Google the active ingredients in that 
and glutamate, you'll find some fascinating studies on what those ingredients do in the brain in the presence of glutamate. Awesome. Okay, moving along. This question comes from Justin, and it was uh, on the blog. I was hoping you could explain why it is a bad idea to consume fruit in the morning in terms of inhibiting mental clarity and other problems that arise. Well, there's this thing. It's, it's a new word in the English language, apparently. It's called fruit and vegetable, and it actually goes together. <laughs> and people sort of assume that, well, they both come from plants. They must be the same thing. But fruit is, and I'm sorry to say this, generally a bag of watery sugar, especially the kind of fruit that we've modified over time just through selective breeding to be incredibly sweet. So getting a hit of a high fructose source, even with some fiber in it, which fruit does have, which limits some of what that fructose does to you, you're still going to get a rise in triglycerides. Fruit still does make you gain weight. And worst of all, fruit causes food cravings later in the day. There are some people, when I was a raw vegan, I didn't really get a lot of food cravings from fruit because I ate every two hours. So what you're trying to do in the morning is you're trying to basically get enough food to be full and have all the energy you want and to not go up, down, up, down. Fructose is also the most glycosylating agent. What that means is it causes advanced glycosylation end products in your tissues. This is when the sugar fructose binds to protein in your arteries, in your skin. It causes wrinkling. It's the same thing if you brown onions in a pan. You'll see that process in, in the pan. It's part of what happens when you caramelize a sugar. You don't want that going on in your body. And that's why I recommend on the Bulletproof Diet, in the new book especially, you at a very maximum 25 grams of fructose a day and that you should really keep it as low as you can and still be happy. You have a bowl of berries, whatever. But if you're eating you know, a couple of bananas or a bunch of other things, you can very quickly have a lot of fructose. In the morning also, fructose can be alkalizing. And I have some news for you. Your body is not acid or alkaline. Different tissues are a different pH. You're more like a battery than anything else. But there is a circadian rhythm to what happens when you're, uh, when you're waking up, when you're going to sleep. So there's an acid balance and an alkaline balance. And in order to wake up and feel good in the morning, you need acid. So if you already bounce out of bed and you're super ready to go, you're already probably acidic and you might be able to handle a little bit of fruit. But if you're like most people and you wake up and like, I really want my bulletproof coffee, well, then you're probably too alkaline. You have more fruit, it's gonna make you more alkaline, it's gonna make you slower. So now you're slower and you've got more food cravings. And on top of that, you whack yourself with potassium, which is one of the micronutrients that fruit actually has. So the potassium in fruit without salt on it actually causes more adrenal stress. In the morning, when you've raised your cortisol and your adrenals are working hard, your body craves salt. And that's why so many people really feel better when they take up to a teaspoon of salt in a glass of water when they first wake up. This was originally used for, say, people with adrenal stress, but even before that, it's been used in Ayurveda as a way of strengthening people. And if you go to India, it's very common to put salt on fruit to balance the sodium and potassium. If you're eating the amount of sodium that's recommended right now by the US government, you're getting actually below the level of sodium that's good for you. There's a window that, that's good for you and our recommendations have gone too far down. And when you change that ratio, eh, not so good. So those are kind of three reasons why fruit in the morning is a bad idea. If you're gonna do fruit, do it after dinner for dessert where you might get some benefits from a little bit of fructose causing in the liver a little bit more storage of carbohydrate, which may stabilize blood sugar all night long, although raw honey works about 22% better than fruit for that. Okay, fair enough. So no fruit in the morning, but 
Salt, yes. <laughs> Love it. All right. Next question is from the forums. This is from the username Bowl of Heaven. Dave, do you track everything you put into your body? How important is tracking the food and supplements one's puts into their body? And should it be a lifelong goal to track everything on most days or just intermittently depending on particular biohacks? Tracking everything that goes into your body would be a terrible waste of your life. Track what you're hacking. If you do that, it's great. So if you think it's a variable, like I'm trying to pay attention to my attention, God, everything affects your attention. So then tracking a lot of things or at least paying attention to them, even if you don't write them all down, is a good idea. But if you're looking at sleep, then you track your sleep. The only things I track very regularly are things I can track effortlessly. Tracking supplements and tracking things like that, ugh, pain. But for instance, on my sleep tracking app, I use actually a couple of them. Bet it, I love on my bed. That's built in, I don't have to do anything, it just works. And also on my iPhone, I have Sleep Cycle. Sleep Cycle lets me enter a bunch of extra data. So every night before I go to bed, I check off the supplements that affect sleep. Did I take GABA? Did I take GABA Wave? Did I take theanine? Did I take uh, ornithine? Did I take magnesium? And did I use electrical stimulation and all the other biohacks that I might have done that day that might have, I think, impacted sleep quality? And over time, I'm getting a signal from that. That'll tell me, yeah, these ones did help. Did I use the sleep induction mat? Yes or no? Did I get more deep sleep? So that means one time before bed, yes, no, yes, yes, no, no, yes, takes me about 10 seconds. The more time you spend tracking, the less time you spend living. So over-tracking isn't good. Use systems that track without you paying any attention to it. That's the trick. Oh, that's great advice. That's I'm on the, the same thing at night when I use the Sleep Cycle app and check those things off. I actually also check off things that don't necessarily affect sleep because I know that it's tracking the data and it saves it. And if I want to go back and look at that later on, I can. But like you said, it's it's effortless and it's there if you want to use it. And then you can go back in time and check those things. So The other thing, Zach, that's kind of interesting, look at my wrists. I'm not wearing a tracking device, even though I was CTO of Basis, you know, Intel just bought Basis. It is one of the more advanced wrist tracking things. Uh, I had the Withings, the Withings, Within, yeah, Withing device. Uh, it was actually really cool because it could get blood oxygen levels and it fit on a little watch in your pocket. Like all the rest of the pocket-based ones, it disappeared within two weeks of use. And most of the time they end up in the washing machine and it, even Fitbit will tell you this is an ongoing problem. So I'm kind of a fan of effortless tracking, but if I have to charge it and I have to find it and take it on and put it off and change settings before bed, it rapidly loses appeal. The Nike band was probably the coolest one and that's in a drawer somewhere. The Jawbone didn't have a good UI and I've, I have like a drawer full of these tracking devices and most of them are more work than I was getting value from the data, but it's kind of cool to wear one. If you're on a, I'm going to move more kind of kick so you can track it. But will I wear one of those devices every day for the rest of my life? Nah. Does my sleep cycle act trap track as long as I have my phone in my pocket? Does it track the number of steps per day? It does. My phone's always on me. So if it's here, I'm going to do it. If it's somewhere else, eh, not sure. Fair enough. I got the job on up, the newer one. And it, it is nice to be able to track the steps. And I got a treadmill for my standing desk, which helped activate the thought, thinking about moving more, and it, it was helpful. But now my jawbone is broken because it ran out of batteries and then it, it won't <laughs> charge and all that. So it's like, okay, that was cool. I got some information there, but I'm not going to stress over 
overhacking all that stuff. If you watch, like, I've got a standing desk in front of me, like, this from my buddies over at Stand Desk. I love this thing because it's electric and I can stand up and sit down. But I don't have a treadmill here and I'm probably not going to. What I do instead is I just step over to my a whole body vibration plate, which is on the floor over there. And I do that every now and then just to shake things up and I'll do a couple poses on it. And I, I feel like, like just kind of doing this, um, you know, walking back and forth all day long. Uh, I, I'm not sure that would be the right move for me. I'm, I'm still a little skeptical there. I want lymphatic circulation, but sometimes I just don't want to be walking. There's another couple of new, like undercover tech devices from friends just specifically designed for standing desks. Uh, which affect your posture. So I'm really stoked. I'll be talking about those as soon as I'm allowed to, because I think there's a whole world of like standing adaptation that we're going to get to. Awesome. Okay. Moving on. This next question is from Facebook and it's a good one. What are your thoughts on personal care products and all the chemical ingredients? And do you have any personal care hacks? Wow. I could like write a whole chapter in a book about this. Oh, wait, I have. It's called The Better Baby Book when I was writing it with uh, with my wife, Dr. Lana. And personal care products absorb through your skin. Just like, say, the new MitoQ products that we've got, which also absorbs through your skin. You know, your skin is, is a, a flexible barrier. It has a layer of dead skin cells on the outside. But things can absorb whether they're chemicals or not. And you also breathe them. In one of the many books on tox, uh, detoxing and on your body's detoxification pathways and allergies, I remember a story, and I'm sorry I'm not quoting which book, I just don't remember, about a guy who's having all of these symptoms, and they've been going on for like 15 years, like muscle weakness, pain, brain fog. It was his aftershave. When the doctor he was working with figured this out, he changed aftershave, got rid of the chemical synthetics in it, and like within two days, he's like, whoa. Like, I got my brain back. I'm good to go. So it's profound what breathing these chemicals does to you. So pretty much the rule in my house is if you wouldn't put it in your mouth, don't put it on your skin. It's that straightforward. It might not taste very good in your mouth, but if it would be unsafe to ingest, you probably shouldn't be smearing it on your body. Uh, maybe something like rubbing alcohol. There's, all right, fine. You put that on the outside because it evaporates. But even then, some rubbing alcohol does absorb and your liver detoxes it, but it evaporates so quickly. I don't worry about that. And other things, deodorant, particularly important. If you're using antiperspirant, you've got all these uh, nodules for your lymphatic system right here. So you don't want to be clogging those things up. There are links with breast cancer in doing that. So I use a coconut-based deodorant. In fact, the one that's worked best for me has been Aubrey E plus high C from Aubrey Organics. It doesn't smell like much. It has a very slight rose smell that goes away after you put it on. It doesn't stain your shirts. And if you're eating a bulletproof diet, after a little while, your body odor should, should drop dramatically. Like even if I sweat a little bit, like there isn't a strong stink like I used to have when I ate like the standard American diet or even when I was a raw vegan. Body odor went down, but there's still some kind of stank there and it, I'm just like, I burn cleaner now. So I don't worry as much about deodorant. At least I like to tell myself I do. Hey, I'm the one who matters, right? <laughs> There's uh, also a great toothpaste that I use. It's called earth paste and it's got like four ingredients. It's like water, salt, redmond clay, and I think some essential oils or something for the flavor. And I take that and I, and I actually pour the uh, upgraded activated charcoal on the, oh, yeah. on the toothbrush as well, and I use that to brush my teeth, and that works really well, and there's no chemicals in that. So there's usually 
an alternative out there. But beware, especially with deodorants, because the quote unquote natural deodorants that are on the market usually contain some form of zinc oxide or some other chemicals. And even though it says it's natural or it's organic, don't trust it because the I use I also use a coconut based one as well. And they may not be as strong and powerful as those chemical based ones, but you're not going to run into those other health problems. That you it, the other thing that annoys me is those crystal rock deodorants. It's aluminum. Like you don't really want to rub aluminum there, whether it's natural aluminum or unnatural aluminum. It's kind of still not something to put there. Um, Earth paste, my kids use it and they like fight over who gets what flavor. Uh, what I do is I actually have a bottle of mouthwash because, by the way, most toothpaste and most, most mouthwash changes the biome in your mouth with negatively. Earth paste isn't going to do that. So I'll take like a swig of hydrogen peroxide and I'll brush with an electric toothbrush with that, like the brawn. Uh, and that's what I use most nights. So there isn't a lot of, of polishing agent in there at all, but I'm getting rid of the bacteria. I wake up without dragon breath or anything. And then a couple times a week, I take like four drops of the upgraded MCT oil and some of the activated charcoal, and I brush my teeth specifically for stains with that. And it, it's like shocking what that does if you do that for a couple of nights. Um, really noticeable difference. And it's not like a it's like a polishing agent. Like if you did uh, say one of the things that they use at the dentist that actually grinds the enamel. What you're looking to do there is just to bind to the chemicals on the surface of the enamel because charcoal is such a good adsorbent agent. So like these are all non toxic things. They work really well. Apple cider vinegar plays a big role. And here's the cool thing. Put less crap on your skin. Like you probably don't need half the stuff you're using. I use soap to shave with. You don't need like a can of special chemical shaving cream. You can lather it up with a brush if you're into that. And it's just most of that stuff you just don't need. Fair enough. And since we're talking about teeth, this leads to another good question that came from the forums from Randy. And his question is, should people get their amalgam fillings removed? If you can afford to go to a mercury-free dentist, you absolutely should get your amalgams removed. There's a couple of reasons for this. One is that mercury is actually bad for your body, and we know this. There are videos where they've used special film. You can actually see the, the, the fumes coming off of it. These are basically mercury fumes. So when they call it silver fillings, it's not silver, it's mercury. And it causes brain fog. It causes your body to allow candida, the yeast that can live in your gut and cause, that causes immune conditions and brain fog. It'll also bind to mercury. So your body will allow the yeast to sequester the mercury rather than putting it in the liver or your brain. So there's no good reason to have it. The other reason is that if you have two different amalgams made at different times, you have a slightly acidic saliva and now you have a battery effect between two different amalgams. So very tiny amounts of current across the palate and the tongue, which has some of the highest nerve density and the most acupuncture and acupressure points in the body. Like, do you really want to have electricity running there that you're not controlling? I'm fine with sticking electrodes to the roof of my mouth, but at least I'm in charge there. So there's just no good reason to do that. If you can't afford it, don't do it. And for God's sake, do not make the mistake of having them removed by a normal dentist. Because then when they grind the thing down to, to drill it out, you get basically spatter all over the mouth and actually can make like a tattoo along your gum line of little bits of mercury. And then the, you get a ton of this. When they do it right, they're, you're actually breathing oxygen through your nose. They put a dam in your mouth and they're sucking the air out so you don't get any of those mercury, basically dust things into your lungs or swallow them. That's really bad news. 
I know several people who've been made quite ill after they had their amalgams removed by a dentist who didn't know what they were doing. So be very careful about that and do it right. Okay, good information. The next question is from Facebook, and this is a funny one. Should you periodically stop taking caffeine? (laughs) If it makes you feel good to periodically stop taking caffeine, go for it. I used to do that. When I drank normal coffee, I would do this ramp up. Coffee once, I'll just have one more cup, one more cup. And so over time, it'd be like one, two, three, four, five, wow, five cups a day. I guess I should stop. I could have headaches for three days. And then one, two, three. And you just sort of add these these back up over the course of weeks. This is my cycle for a long time, even back when I drank soda. I'm stable now. Like I drink a cup of Bulletproof coffee in the morning. And sometimes I'll have another shot of espresso made with Bulletproof beans or another Bulletproof coffee around lunch. And unless I'm like really... Like at a conference, I need like super high performance. That's it. And if I did have another cup after that, I'm like good to go. And I just don't want any more. So I'm stable on it. And I typically don't do this. The only time that I stop caffeine, and I'm not talking mega dosing of caffeine. I'm just talking normal amounts from coffee and whatnot. The only time I stop it is when I'm going to do 40 years of Zen training. And the reason is that when you're actively working on an intense meditation practice, if I was doing Vipassana or something, I would also stop it or I was at a retreat. And the reason there isn't that caffeine is toxic is that you're doing things with your alpha brainwaves that are harder to do as a training exercise to hit new levels that are harder to do with caffeine because caffeine is documented to have a limiting effect on alpha waves. It's not a strong one. And it's one that you with training certainly can overcome. But if you're like, basically trying to run a marathon, you're not going to do anything that makes you even a tiny bit slower. And if what you're doing is focusing all of your energy and effort on raising alpha brainwaves, then you would also stop caffeine. That's the time when I do it. Okay. Fair enough. There's another question that's related to to coffee. So, And I think it's a good one. This question comes from the blog uh, from Anna53. And it is, do you have any suggestions for making bulletproof coffee when you're camping or at work, how do you whip the MCT in butter without electricity? I can't bring a blender to work. The butter floating on top without a blender is awful. You know, butter floating on top of coffee is just not acceptable. It's gross. There's two things. I just went camping with my kids uh, two weekends ago and we made bulletproof coffee. Number one, you gotta have butter. So there's various ways to bring butter with you. I usually bring it in a piece of technology called a Ziploc bag. (laughs) That way if it melts a little bit, you don't really mind. If you're going to be fancy about it, you can actually put it inside a soap dish holder, which makes it even more likely that no one's going to ask you about it um, at the airport. I've carried a stick of butter onto the airplane with me hundreds of times. If you're using Kerrygold butter, it's 84% saturated fat, which is solid at room temperature. So it's not a liquid or a gel. And if it's a warm day and they say it's spreadable, you simply explain that it's a medical food and they'll swab the outside of it with their little chemical detector and let you through. And they should. And if they don't, you just be really polite. Don't be angry and just say, look, I totally appreciate the work you're doing to help protect us. I really do need this. It really is a medical thing. And I'm totally happy to talk with you about this. This is a food that helps my body work well. And when I don't have access to this, then I, I don't I don't feel well and I don't do well. And I work with a nutritionist on this. And, uh, so if you're polite and respectful, you shouldn't have a tr- problems. And usually if it's in a soap dish, like I've smeared it on my skin, it's my soap, whatever. <laughs> The other trick is one of these, and I wasn't planning on showing this, so pull this out of my bag. Well, I've got part of it. There's a variety of little collapsible blendery things 
They're like three bucks on Amazon. I, I, there isn't a brand I can recommend because they all break after three months. But they look like this. And it's a little three or five dollar thingy. You turn it on, I don't know if you can see that. It whips up coffee very nicely. Put a little napkin over the top, fill it up only halfway. The other thing I do if I'm not going backpacking is the bulletproof coffee mug here. Put the coffee, the butter, the MCT, and collagen, if you're using it, shake. Keep shaking. You don't get quite the foam that you get from blending, but it's really darn close. So basically, shaking is one. Blending with a little battery-powered thing is another. And those are the only two that I know that work. If you're making it at work and they have styrofoam cups, don't put fat into styrofoam. It's bad for you. The shorter chain the fat, the, the more it attacks styrofoam. So a low-quality, like, Chinese-made styrofoam cup will be more permeable for MCT or for butter than, say, a higher-end cup with a liner. But use paper cups if you're going to make bulletproof coffee in them. Don't use styrofoam. And honestly, don't drink out of styrofoam. It's bad for the ocean. It's bad for the environment. It's bad for you. Like, it's just not a good choice. I use that that portable stick blender as well. Yeah. And we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes for those of you that are listening. And there's another product that I got off Amazon that we can put a link to as well, which is a reusable pour-over filter that has three little plastic legs that you can attach to any size cup that you're using, whether it's paper or your bulletproof travel mug. And it's a mesh material that allows you to bring pre-ground coffee, which, by the way, we're going to have some pre-ground bulletproof coffee uh, in the store soon. So I know people are excited about that. And if you bring that with you, you just pour some in and pour your hot water over it, and then you've got it in your cup, and you can use your stick blender, and it works perfect. So camping, that's my go-to. So I have one. I don't have your filter, which I was kind of interested in last time I saw it. I have a collection of, like, I'm guessing 20 different pour-through filters that I've traveled with at different times. I've traveled with an AeroPress, and I finally settled on something that was the least amount of mess. And I'm actually, I just realized we have time to demo this right here. So I'm going to set my headphones down for just a second. I'm going to take this beaker. Uh, I didn't plan this, so I may have to grind the beans, but my setup for espresso is right behind me. So I'm just going to take a beaker. I'm going to do something really simple. And you can do this at, at actually any coffee shop. You tell them you want a large cup of water with a double cup. And then you literally put the ground coffee in one of these cups. What I normally do is I pop open a couple of the, uh, uh, a couple of our little uh, Keurig compatible cartridges and the coffee's already pre-ground. They're all sealed with nitrogen. So you pop them open, dump them in here. So you just have like coffee grounds and you add hot water and you stir it up. And then magically, four minutes later, all the coffee settles to the bottom and you decant it. So I'm just gonna grab another beaker, give me one sec and the espresso machine's already warmed up so it'll make hot water. This should take like 10 seconds. So, hang on. So what I'm doing now, if you look, I probably put too much in here. This is just a beaker with coffee in it. All right, so now I added some water that's about 200 degrees. The hotter, the better from Starbucks or wherever you're going to get hot water. Just go in there and, and be really polite. Make sure you tip them at least a buck if you're on the road. And you just literally stir a little bit. If you're looking at this, there's a crust on the top of the coffee like you'd have with a French press. So I'm just stirring this with a little plastic thingy that I found on my desk. I'm about to burn my fingers doing it. So here we go. And what you'll find is that there's coffee on the top and it's just gonna sit there. And what I'm going to do 
is I'm going to let it just sit over here while we answer other questions. In about four or five minutes, I'm just going to tap it a few times. I'm going to set it down really hard a few times, which is going to cause all the little gas bubbles that came out of the coffee because our coffee is very fresh. So you tend to get carbon dioxide that comes off of it. They'll all sink to the bottom and then you just decant the coffee off the top and 99% of the grounds are gone. No filter required. It's a super cool trick. I call it, I kind of call it redneck French press. I, I don't know what to call it. So my kids are in here helping me make uh, bulletproof coffee this morning. So my beakers are all over the place. And I use beakers because much like wine glasses, uh, they're made of uh, borosilicate glass. And when you have very tightly packed glass molecules, things like coffee and tea actually taste better, just like wine does in a proper wine glass. I learned that from one of the, the world's top sommeliers uh, who was teaching, uh, and this was years ago, uh, the very fine art of tasting wine. I'm not particularly a wine consumer, um, but it was really interesting to learn from someone who just had the nose and all of that because a lot of that wine tasting and coffee tasting go together. So it was really cool to understand the impact of the type of glass you get. So if you're like super bulletproof, you actually drink out of either Beaker or Bodum makes a double-walled borosilica glass line. They're very fragile, but they're insulated so your coffee stays warm and it just tastes good. And you can actually feel a difference from the, the material the glass is made of versus like a ceramic cup. Sounds weird when you try it and you pay attention, especially with black coffee or just a fine green tea, like a yerba mate, uh, the way uh, Tim Ferriss recommends it. I feel a difference, although I, I just learned from Tim this last weekend. Uh, he's talking about how he drinks it through a traditional straw. So I'm like, I'm realizing I need to learn more about the traditional way of ingesting that mind-altering substance. So um, anyway, your glass matters. All right. The next question comes from Facebook and the, this person would like to know what your thoughts are on supplements for children. Supplements for children. All right. I'm going to get in trouble for this, but it's all right. If you're not supplementing your kids' diets, you're not doing everything you can to help them grow into the people they're capable of becoming. It's also possible to over-supplement or to supplement improperly. So you don't want to go crazy on it. But my kids get a magnesium supplement at night because basically everyone's low. They get vitamin D on a regular basis based on their body weight and based on the amount of time they spend outside. We have very long summer days, and my kids have this habit now of like going outside in the morning after they wake up, even before breakfast, like wearing just underwear. And like they'll play outside for very long periods of time, and they have these amazing tans, and they've been sunburned exactly zero times. I'm totally happy with this situation. They don't need much vitamin D in summer. They get vitamin K2 on a regular basis for strong bones and properly formed dental arches. They get vitamin C on a daily basis. They get desiccated liver. They get krill oil. And if you want your kids to kick ass, they better be getting a source of DHA. Like they really need DHA. And then they get a lot of nutrients from food. We have a big garden that they take care of. They eat things like kale and we cook our kale and we dump the water so they don't get excessive oxalic acid, which does do bad things to you and kale tends to be high in it. We also have the kind of kale, dino kale, which is lower in oxalic acid than lacy kale. And I've referenced all these studies on the website. So if you haven't heard about that or read the whole thing about why you should cook your kale, there's a pretty good argument for it. And when I say cook it with water, I don't mean just bake it. Because when you bake your kale, you haven't had a, sort of a chance to get rid of it. And you can also do calcium loading with it where you pre-precipitate out oxalic acid. So food matters. Proper cooking of food matters. And those are major sources of nutrients. My kids don't like liver. I tried my best. They'll eat it sometimes, 
they get desiccated liver capsules instead, same way I take it. So yeah, basic supplements like that, and even a basic multivitamin without folic acid, unless you know your kids can metabolize it. So I give my kids stuff with uh, folinic acid in it. And I believe, based on all of the studies I've read, all the things I've done, that this is an optimal path to helping them just grow into the people that they're capable of being. They should have the raw materials there. So if you can afford to supplement your kids, vitamin D and magnesium are dirt cheap. And vitamin K2 is just a requirement. And just go through the list of 10 things. They don't need smart drugs or anything like that at this age. And that would actually be like a random experiment I don't recommend anyone do. But should they have the nutrients that help their brains form properly? Hell yeah. And how have you found it easy to get them to take these these pills? Are they at the point where they're swallowing pills or is it chewable for them or are you use gummies? It was actually really, really easy. When they were pretty young, like they just, they so desperately want to see what, what mommy and daddy do. And I take supplements with every meal. I take betaine HCL. My hydrochloric acid production has been low for a very, very long time. I used to take six of them with a meal to digest my food. I'm down to two or three, but three is about my number. And I talk in other podcasts and on the blog about how to know how much stomach acid you need for optimal absorption. As you get older, you make less stomach acid. I don't like that. So I just keep my stomach acid where I want it. So they see me take these with meals and they're like, okay, it's a normal human behavior to take pills. So they both said, I want to try and take a pill. I'm like, all right, well, there's some important rules here. Number one, you never take a pill ever unless an adult gives it to you because it's just not okay to take a pill like that. And they know it and they just, it's not in their world that they would ever like think of taking their own vitamins unless someone handed it to them. And then you start with super tiny round gel pills. In our case, we use small krill oil capsules or there's a vitamin E delta uh, fraction, which is also super tiny. So you give it to them with a glass of water and you say, good job. And you know what? It's painless to swallow one of those. So both my kids can take two full-size, like 500 milligram capsules at a time and they don't even blink. They don't choke, they've never choked. They have no fear of, of capsules whatsoever. It's just a matter of learning and overcoming that, that fear and starting with the tiniest vitamins. Oh, vitamin D capsules also can be super small. Vitamin K2 capsules are super small. Just let them do that, praise them, and it's never been a problem. If that doesn't work, you have a blender, toss them in there. Awesome, that's really good advice can be difficult getting kids to adapt to new things like that, especially when swallowing a pill can make you gag. Yes. If you hear that tapping and you're in a car, I'm tapping the coffee now to precipitate it out. It's kind of a small container I'm using, but I'm just uh, giving, letting gravity do its work to, to drop all the coffee grounds to the bottom of this cup. All right. While you're doing that, there's another question from Facebook that is I love all of your podcasts, but if you had to choose five to recommend to a new listener, which would you choose? Wow. If you have one or two, Dave, that, that come off the top of your head, then let's hear them. I have a, a few that, that since it's, I actually saw these questions before that I thought of. That's a great question. In fact, I would love to feature our top ones. One that, that was really surprising was the Peter Sage podcast. Because, I mean, Peter Sage is just an amazing guy, and he's a super high-performance business person, but I, I didn't think that that podcast would go in the direction it did, and I just I was motivated after it, and I thought he just did a great job of, of sharing high-performance techniques, a lot of the psychology of high-performance. It was just really legit. So that's one that stood out. 
Um, I love the podcast with Tim Ferriss. Uh, you know, I, I've been a, a Tim Ferriss fan uh, for uh, for a long time, and some of the hacking he's done is is just remarkable. And he's popularized some of the ideas around biohacking and even used the term in his book. And I'm I just love that. So getting to talk to him live on the podcast was really cool. And I just thought that we shared a lot of like super good detailed knowledge for people. Uh, Ariana Huffington was also someone who, you know, she's a, a super high performance business person. And I was like incredibly honored that she invited me to her studio in New York. And we actually got to shoot the podcast on her set at HuffPo. I'm like, this is like almost surreal. It's so cool. And she was so down to earth and so honest about sharing, you know, struggles with overworking and rest and recovery and trying to achieve that balance. And that's something I've worked with in my whole career is that that balance. Sometimes I have it, sometimes I don't. So to hear someone at her level of success, just lay it all out there in her book, Thrive and All, was also really, I thought, really informative. Uh, from there, we, we, you know, there's just some amazing ones. Steve Folks has shared so much stuff that people just haven't, people don't know. And Steve, honestly, I credit him with my, my being here today because when my brain stopped working in my mid-20s, it was his writing from the early 90s on smart drugs that got me on this path of like, oh, wait. Like I can do something to prop up my brain so then I can fix my body. So Steve is just a wealth of knowledge and it's worth listening to. I know that was four. So much of a wealth of knowledge that we actually split into two episodes. So yeah, really good one. Another one that I would recommend, especially for beginners is the one with Dr. Tom O'Brien. Oh yeah. Tom's Tom's the man. He talks about gluten sensitivity and that is a, a big topic in society today. And there's a lot of, people questioning <laughs> the reasoning behind that for whatever reasons. And Dr. Tom, he does an amazing job of, of breaking it down and explaining exactly why a gluten is, yeah. is such a problem. Zach, that's well said. And uh, that one thing about uh, the recent study about, oh, maybe it's not gluten, maybe it's FODMAP, some of the sugars that are in there. Uh, no, there's a multiple set of reasons. And Tom has, has spent a lifetime of treating people and looked at autoimmune reactivity that is not celiac and just overwhelming evidence. And when you, you hear the interview with Tom or you check out his gluten summit, uh, I, I've gotten to be good friends with Tom. I've spent some serious time with him. And like the evidence is so, so complete at this point that if you just want to take a gamble, like honestly, I don't know, maybe you should just start smoking too. Like what the heck? Um, so I, I think the coffee is about ready here. I'm going to hold this up. I don't know if the camera's going to get this uh, with the lighting. You see how there's a, a line at the bottom there? That line is where the grounds have come out. And what I'm going to do now, look at the autofocus, you can sort of see right here is where all the precipitation has happened. I'm going to just pour the stuff off the top. I'm going to try not to pour it on my keyboard. You guys see so that? If you're listening, Dave took grounds. He put them in the bottom of a glass beaker. He poured hot water over it and let it sit for four to ten minutes now and he's just pouring it off there's no filter all of the grounds sunk to the bottom he's poured it off into another glass so what's in one of these beakers the one that held the coffee in the grounds is basically sludge and i'm swirling it so you can see the the grounds are all stuck to the sides in here the other beaker which would have been the second cup at any any place you can get hot water when i swirl this around no grounds stick to the sides at all it's basically like a french press coffee if I look in the very bottom, there might be a few tiny bits of sediment, 
but it's perfectly drinkable, well-made, very much like a French press. And I didn't have to carry anything. I just walked into the coffee shop. I put a buck or two in the tip jar and I said, please can I have some hot water? I don't mind paying for tea. And then they gave me hot water in two glasses, make the coffee in one, pour it into the other, add butter, add MCT, blend it, drink it, and I'm good to go. You ever see me walking around with a coffee with a coffee cup with a big green logo on it? I guarantee you that that's what I did. <laughs> I carry my coffee with me when I travel so I can consistently feel the way I do. Okay, we've got time for one more question before we wrap this up. And this question comes from the forums from Jason Miller. And the question is, what are your thoughts on keto rash and its causes or processes? It's not everyone, so why some and not the others? Is it genetic? And is the only cure carb consumption? It would seem as though waiting it out as if it were a detoxing mechanism is risky as it can cause scarring. I'm not familiar with keto rash causing scarring. It doesn't mean it can't or it doesn't. I've not heard of that. I'm guessing if it did cause scarring, it would have to do with sun exposure, not actual like like keloid formation scarring. But I honestly am not certain of that answer, so I don't want to guide you in one way or another. When your body starts to burn fat, you can seriously dump amazing amounts of toxins. If they biopsy your fat, you find mercury, you find DDT, you find pesticides, you find estrogen disruptors. So fat is a, a, basically a dumping ground for toxins that your liver can't handle right now. And this is one of the reasons that I, I've written this rapid fat loss protocol, but it's not on the front page of the site. You have to dig around because the subtitle is how to lose weight faster than you should. Because it's much safer to lose weight, you know, just a half a pound a week or whatever, a pound a week, and it, it just kind of comes off after that first few few days where it's relatively easy to lose a few pounds. And if you're actually burning that much fat, your liver and your kidneys have to take that burden and you need to basically excrete it. If you don't, it's gonna go somewhere else. It's gonna go to your brain and you'll get brain fog from it. And that's why on the rapid fat loss protocol, like you need to be taking stuff to help your liver, calcium D-glucarate, glutathione, you wanna be taking charcoal to help bind stuff in the gut and you wanna chlorella maybe, anything you can think of to help you excrete toxins faster. But honestly, it's not even a good idea to lose weight that fast unless like you have a wedding. If you do it the wrong way, you're gonna have a cold and you're gonna be really tired with dark circles from all the toxins at your wedding. So like, <laughs> be careful, be responsible, it's your body, you own it. And keto rash though can come from those toxins coming out. It can also come from what happens when you have yeast or certain bacteria in the body. Those yeast and bacteria, when they don't get food or when they're getting things that basically are bad for them, they get stressed. And when bacteria or fungus is stressed, it pumps out a lot of toxins. It does that as a survival mechanism to tell all the other bacteria or fungi, hey, this is my fuel source. This is my food. It's not attractive to you. Even alcohol itself is an attempt by yeast to tell other stuff, don't eat this, I'm putting out alcohol, so it's not good for you to eat. So there's this constant competition, and this is going on in your gut, and you're getting these things in your body, that can be one of the things that causes a rash. If you eat carbs, the fungus or the bacteria that like the carbs relaxes. When it relaxes, it makes less toxins, therefore the rash gets better. So one of the things you could potentially try is you could potentially try binding toxins it was some of the things i talked about before that may help you could also try maybe even taking an antifungal like uh some of the natural ones grapefruit seed extract 
can be extremely powerful for that. And that may have an impact on it as well, because then instead of allowing things to be alive and stressed, you just whack them. Other things like berberine can be particularly helpful and even garlic. Now, if you're meditating, you might not want to be using garlic because garlic has a much stronger inhibitory effect on alpha brain waves, and it makes you like more angry and it's harder to relax and meditate and be centered, even more so than caffeine. But using garlic as a medicinal herb, yes, do it. You're going to have body odor again, and you're, you may be a little bit like cranky, but let's face it, you have keto rash. You're cranky anyway. Awesome. Great answer, and thanks, Dave, for your time today to answer the questions from the community. If you guys have questions, please submit them on the podcast Q&A form that's at the bottom of each blog post. You can also ask them in the Bulletproof forums and look out for periodic Facebook posts each month asking for questions there as well. And if you enjoy the show, please tell a friend about it. And if you would be so kind as to leave a review on iTunes, it really helps. Thanks, everyone. Have an awesome day. And what Zach said, please leave us a review. Reviews actually help other people find the show. I put a lot of energy. I schedule my whole week around getting time with people who are not going to waste your time. We've had seven and a half million downloads and we're consistently number one ranked in health and fitness on iTunes, maybe number 47 for all of the health category, which is a giant one. But around health and fitness, that ranking matters because a lot of people hear the podcast. There's a ton of knowledge. And when I divide 7.5 million by the number of hours people are awake, it's multiple lifetimes of time. So if I put bad content out here, the way I view this is that it's like I've basically killed about 30 people. So I feel a responsibility to, to bring the, the best people and the best knowledge out here. Otherwise, I'm wasting enormous amounts of human time, and that's not okay. So I love these Q&A sessions. I love the feedback on Facebook, and I'm grateful for it. If you enjoyed this, just leave us a review on iTunes, and it can make all the difference. Thank you. Hey, do you know about the new coffee kits on the all-new UpgradedSelf.com? We actually pair bags of coffee with Brain Octane Oil or Upgraded MCT Oil so you can get a discount, actually a really substantial discount, on getting your coffee and your oil delivered to you. Please do check out UpgradedSelf.com, look at the coffee kits, and look at the monthly subscription. It's totally worth your time, and it will save you some money. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.